0: Tonight, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 34. If you have a Bible, let's go there. And we actually have a couple of titles that I want to show you. Uh, I think we have two slides. And so the first one right here, it says, The Importance of Obedience. And I like the way Henry highlighted the word be, you know. And so it's kind of like an encouragement to be obedient. Now, one of the things I want to share with you guys is this, is that your life, uh, the decisions we make, the things that we do, whether they're good or bad, they're like a seed. Okay, so if you put your uh, your seed in the ground, let me ask you a question. When you put the seed in the ground, does it grow up right away? Does it grow out and spite? No, it usually takes time, right? And so if you're here and you're being obedient, you're plant, you plant a seed and you might not see the results right away. So don't be discouraged. Just keep waiting on the Lord. Keep doing the right thing And you watch the blessings will happen because here's what happens. Sometimes a person is saying, well, I'm being obedient and I'm honoring God and I'm waiting on God or whatever it might be. But it's already been a new X amount of years. And then therefore you stop being obedient. No, don't do that. Wait on the Lord. You you plant good seed, obedience, you're going to be blessed. But if you plant bad seed, You plant bad seed. Some people are like, well, I've been doing bad things and my life is fine, so I'll continue to do bad things. And you just have to wait because eventually you're going to reap the consequences of that. So obedience is important to find out what God says, what to do. And that's in the Bible. And it's also in your personal relationship with him. Because we have a personal relationship with God, and he gives us personal convictions. He gives us guidance. And we are accountable to listen, to incline our hearts to God, and as he leads us in life to be obedient. So it's very important. And so we have this title right here, The Importance of Obedience. But then the next slide, if I'm not mistaken, it was my long title, and they told me not to use it because it's not good. It's too long. But it says, The Lasting and Contrasting Importance of Obedience. And I agree, it is a little bit too long. But the reason why I wanted to use that title as well is because as we go through our our study tonight, there's going to be a contrast between chapter 34 and chapter 35. Chapter 34, they don't do good. It's kind of like Judas. Chapter 35, they, they, they do good, like Peter coming back. Just like Judas and Peter are contrasted side by side. And you see what happens to those who don't obey and those who do obey. Or maybe someone like Saul and David, they're contrasted side by side. You see what happens to those who don't obey and those who do obey. We're going to see that today, and the the ramifications are, are lasting. So the descendants of the Rechabites, you guys are going to see, because they were so obedient, they were so obedient, that God told them, you will always have a descendant, who will stand before me. In other words, you will always have a descendant who will serve the Lord. Why? Because of you. Because you. Because you were so obedient, outstanding in that sense. And so it is lasting. It makes a big difference. And so that was why we had the long title. So before we dive in, one more thing I want to show you. It's a slide. Uh, you guys remember A.W. Tozer? Tozer? I think we have this slide that says the driver on the highway is safe, not when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them. So you read the sign, you're like, hey, 25 miles per hour, who cares? And you're there doing 40, you know, you get a ticket, that's not too bad though, but what happens if you get an accident? What happens? Even our street, you know, they have all these signs, I don't know if you guys have seen those signs, you know, children playing, you know, slow down. And let's just say you don't even care. You see the sign, but yeah, it's there, but you just speed on through. What happens to you if one day you kill a kid? See, so it's not good enough just to see the signs or read the signs. It's only safe when we obey them. And this is what we have in the word of God. And so notice what you read in Jeremiah chapter 34. It says, the word which came to Jeremiah From the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem, all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So God is telling Jeremiah this, Go and speak to Zedekiah. Now remember, Zedekiah is the last king of Judah, they would have governors after him but no he's the last king in this in this era. Go and speak to Zedekiah king of Judah and tell him thus says the Lord behold I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire and you shall not escape from his hand but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon he shall speak with you face to face and you shall go to Babylon. So so a lot of time these leaders, sometimes you even see it today, leaders of nations, you know, when they flee, you know, they end up escaping and finding asylum in some other country, right? Here Jeremiah is telling King Zedekiah, you, you're not going to get away. You're going to try to get away but you're not going to get away. You're actually going to see the the face of the king of Babylon and he's going to take you to Babylon. But notice what he says in verse 4. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the, the former kings who were before you so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. And so he tells the king, he says, okay, you're going to go to Babylon, but, but you're going to die peacefully. It, it won't be like what we see. Look at, if you would, chapter 22. Uh, you guys kind of, kind of, you got to see this. Jeremiah 22, and look at verse 18. Look at what happens to this king. Verse 18. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And so this is is the contrasting king. There was one king before Zedekiah. He only reigned for three months. And then before him is this king right here, Jehoiakim. He reigned for 11 years. And Jeremiah told him, you're going to die and you're going to die the death of a donkey. They're going to drag your body out there, outside the city gates. And pretty much you're going to get eaten by animals. No one's going to mourn your death, uh, Jehoiakim. But here in Jeremiah chapter 34, this king right here, at least there would be that. You know, he finds some some solace in the fact that at least people would mourn him. They would burn, the, you know, that incense of, of mourning and they would weep and lament for him. So you know, there's a softening to that. Uh, Jeremiah is telling him what's going to happen, but but then look back at Jeremiah 34 verse 6. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah king of Judah in Babylon, when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem, and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish and Azekah. For only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. Now, we have a map here. I kind of wanted to show you guys these cities. Now, you'll notice right here on the left side, you you see Jerusalem up here on the top, and you see Lachish, and you see uh, Azekah. Now, if you go down further south, uh, uh, west, it's Egypt. So Egypt is down there and so babylon had come from the north and that's the that was the the military route and so they you know had just basically wiped out everything up to jerusalem now there there's just a couple of cities that they haven't conquered as far as fortified cities fortified city would be a city that has you know walls around it and that would be azekah and, and lakish and so you know that's what's going on um one of the interesting things is, and the reason part of the reason that I bring that up is because Egypt will be a factor in the chapters that we read tonight. And also because you can find a lot of archaeological evidence from Lakish. As a matter of fact, this right here, these are actually uh potsherds. Now, potsherds are they're they're clay uh, fragments in which the the they, they found Jewish writing. And there's a whole bunch of, of them. There's a whole bunch of things that they wrote letters and wrote. But one of the things that's interesting right here is that when you look at these fragments, you'll find that there was an individual who was watching these two cities. So they're watching Lakeish. They're walking, watching Azica. Azica and um, and they can tell what's happening in those cities by the signals that they send up. You know, like the the smoke signals or the fire. They can see the signals that are being sent up. But one of the fragments, it shows uh, he's he's writing to the commander in Lachish, and he's basically saying, we don't see any signals from Azica anymore. And it just matches perfectly right around this time, 587, 586 B.C., when the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem. And so if you go online, you can look up the letters of Lachish. You can look up the potsherds. It's really fascinating. There was a lot of correspondence that's going on there. And so, you know, Jeremiah, the people are still thinking, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Babylon's not not going to get us. And Jeremiah says, no, you're you're going to get judged. And so he transitions then in verse 8. Notice it says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now all the princes, when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slave, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward, they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. And so... um, how does a a hebrew become a slave to another hebrew well they didn't have bankruptcy back then they didn't have chapter 11 back then if you had a debt you couldn't pay you had to sell yourself and so now you're a hebrew and you're a slave to another hebrew and your family is there but the law said in exodus 21 and deuteronomy 15 that it said that they, they only served six, maybe seven years, but then you're supposed to let them go free. But because of Judah's you know, sin and their disobedience, they just never obeyed God. They kept these slaves to themselves. They were treating the people crazy. So when Babylon finally surrounded the city, you know I don't know if you guys ever been in a situation like that where you know you haven't been living right for God. But then something, something tragic happens or something pressing begins to happen. And then you begin to search your heart and you're, you begin to say, you know what, I got to get right with God. I, I, this is an obvious sin. We are clearly disobeying God. And so now that we're surrounded by the Babylonian army, there was an edict. The king said, hey, you got to let all the Hebrew slaves go free. And so then they let him go free. But then they brought him back. And so you wonder, well, why did they bring him back? Watch what happens. This is why. It says in verse 12, Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It's kind of like the Lord is kind of like, you know, uh, egging them, saying, I set you free when you were slaves. And I made a covenant with you. You're supposed to do the same thing for your brothers. But look what it says. It says, At the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And and when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me. Here it is. Nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. You made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name. And every one of you brought back his male and female slaves whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Now, there's a few things that I think are important. Um, uh, when where he says, incline your ear, you know, um, I don't know how interested you are in obeying God. Are you really interested in that? If you are, you're going to incline your ear. If you really are. If you're really interested, you're going to want to listen like, Lord, What do you want me to do in this situation? Lord, speak to my heart, you know? And so, you know, as God is dealing with them here, they're, you know, they're supposed to let the Hebrew slaves go free after seven years, um, but they weren't really listening. I just want to encourage you tonight. How many of you here believe that Christianity is a personal relationship with God? You guys believe that, huh? You've always said that, right? But do you practice that? Do you really listen to the Lord? And he's trying to tell you to do something and you're not listening and you're not inclining your ear. This right here was something that they were doing wrong. And then secondly, it's interesting what he says there in verse 16. Then you turned around, profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves when you had set at liberty at their pleasure now that word right there at their pleasure it basically talks about because when you read exodus 21 and deuteronomy 15 do you guys remember this it says okay if you got a slave and you know they've served their seven years and they want to go free i and, and, and they and they and they you know it's time for them to go free let them go free but if that person or that servant says no i don't want to go free I, I love my master. I love the situation here that I'm with him, and I don't want to go free. I want to stay here. Do you guys remember that? That's the bond servant, and so then they would take his uh, ear and they would thrust it all through, and next thing you know, he'd be a bond servant for life. So when he says at their pleasure, right there, what he's saying is that these people wanted to go free; they didn't want to stay. They, they wanted to go free. You set them free. You were supposed to set them free because that's what God's word says. But then you went around and you brought them back. You, you profaned my name. We made an agreement and, and you went back on what you said. And so watch what happens as a result of their disobedience. Therefore, verse 17, Thus says the Lord, You have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and every one to his neighbor. Behold, oh, this is crazy. I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence and famine. And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. So you didn't want to set them free? I'm going to set you free now. Watch what happens when you go. And it's kind of crazy, because in one sense, people are like, well, I'm a Christian, and it's all these, you know, whatever, parameters and barriers, and, you know, we got all the 800 commandments in the New Testament, and I just want to go do my own thing. You know what, you got to be careful, because God might let you go do your own thing. Right here, he ends up sending them, telling them, listen, I'll set you free, but but look with the, the ramifications. To, to to the sword, to pestilence, and, and famine. Verse 18, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all, the, even the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life and into the hand of the king of Babylon's armies, which has gone back from you. And so it's kind of a weird um, covenant. When you make an agreement with someone, what do we do? We shake hands, maybe? Or maybe you sign something, right? Ooh, you signed it. Ooh, watch out. That's kind of like that. Well, imagine taking a calf and cutting it in half. Imagine cutting the whole thing in half, and then you put one side of it right there and one side of it right there, and this is part of the agreement. You know, you end up, you, you, then you just walk through it. You walk between the cows on both sides. That'd be weird, huh? We should start doing that. I think that's kind of interesting. But you know, the reason is, is you're like, well, wonder why do they do that? As a matter of fact, God did that in, with Abraham. If you read the book of Genesis, when God made a covenant with Abraham, they cut the animals in half and God walked through between those animals. He did, not Abraham. Because the Abrahamic covenant was not dependent upon the obedience of the Jews. It's everlasting. It's just God. So God is the only one who walked between those animals, between the split animals. But this one right here, they all did. They walked through it. They walked through it. And basically what it was saying is that if I don't keep the covenant, then I'm going to end up like these dead animals. That's basically what he said, what they say when they make the covenant. And so God says, okay, that's what's going to happen to you. You know, what, what I thought we had a covenant. I thought we had a commitment. I thought there was this, you know, thing where you said you were going to, you know, set the slaves free. You walked through the split calf, but now you're bringing them back. See, see, God, God is a holy God, and I, and we got to know that. Yesterday, Henry and I we did a live stream on on on, on you know how to overcome temptation, and you know, it, to me, I was just you know, as we're going through it, it just really struck me how um, we got to hate sin. You know, I pray that we would have that heart to hate sin because not only does it grieve God, and that right there is enough for me, but it, it hurts everybody else around us. And so I've been trying to just, I just live my life. I'm, Lord, help me. Every day I wake up in the morning, I mean, every all day long you're going to get tempted, and that person might say something to you, or you might get this thought, and the devil's trying to get you with that. And just all day long you try to overcome temptation. And then, you know, you go to sleep, you know, and then, you know, you wake up the next morning and then the bell rings again, ding, ding, whatever, and it's round two and it, you're going to be tempted again because what ends up happening, we see it right here, is the ramifications of temptation are um, of, of of disobedience. In this case, you know, it, it ends up it's becoming so severe. How many of you here believe, that God loves you. You believe that God loves you, right? And so because he loves you, will he discipline you? Yeah. He's not going to be mean. Like if my son, you know, forgot to do something and forgot to empty the trash, you know, I wouldn't hit him upside the head. I would just say, hey, come on, empty the trash. So usually there's a verbal correction, you know, initially, right? But then as things progress, if things get worse, if someone out there, you know, you know, and we see it happen at the time, all the crazy things that happen, you know, God will discipline if the disobedience is insistent, persistent, consistent, and resistant. So um, John, he says, I wrote this to you so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we're Christians. Thank God we're forgiven of all our sins in a positional aspect. But in a practical aspect, our feet get dirty. Today I was about to leave uh, the house. You know, I was leaving, and I thought it was good, you know. And then my daughter says, hey, Dad, you got to clean your shoes. And I was like, what? You know, she's like, yeah, there's there's stuff right there in the front. And she's just looking out for me. I thank God for her. Anyways. Um, I was thinking about how it's, you know, yeah, she's right. You know, our feet get dirty because we're living in this world. And my prayer is that we would just, man, God, help us not to let it come to a place where it becomes, you know, a, a habit or a character or a tendency. You know, I pray that we would grow. You know, we were doing the marriage thing the other day, and I was thinking, Uh, God, help us not just to stay together as husband and wife, but to grow together. And we got to do the same thing, you guys, as Christians. My prayer is that we would grow together because look at the ramifications of disobedience. So verse 22, it says, Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. This speaking of the Babylonians They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. And so here's probably what happened. Okay, Babylon surrounds the city, Jerusalem. You're like, oh, it's scary. It's scary. Oh, we should, you know, set all the slaves free because we've been disobedient. And so they set the slaves free. But then the Babylonians leave because Egypt is coming. We're gonna look at that in just a second. So now the Babylonians leave. And so now the people in Jerusalem are like, hey, you know, problem solved. Let's get our those slaves back, you know? Let, let's do that. And 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 when Jeremiah says, No, they're they're gonna come back. As a matter of fact, look at chapter 37, Jeremiah thirty-seven. In verse five, it says, then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt. And when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, thus you shall say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you will return to Egypt to their own land and the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves. The Chaldeans will surely depart from us for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who had fought against you and there remained only wounded men against them, they would rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. Jeremiah is just basically saying it's going to happen. You know, when the Egyptians left—I mean, sorry—the Babylonians left. I'll bet you the Jews were saying like, "Yeah, just like you know, you know, last time with the Assyrians, we got victory." And they're all—and then—and Je- Jeremiah is saying, "No, they're coming back." You know, God has been merciful to us. God has been gracious to us. Aren't you glad that you know He hasn't smashed us? And, and you know don't don't use that as a license to sin none of us are going to be perfect but we should have a heart to be proper we should have a heart to sin less even though we won't be sinless before you know we go to heaven we should have that heart we really should uh, i was thinking about this guy louis Zamperini, and um, i don't know if this is a good illustration but how many of you guys have heard of Louis Zamperini? I have a picture of him, I think. Uh, Louis Zamperini, World War II uh, veteran. This guy was, uh, he's also an an Olympic runner. Uh, I think it was the 5,000 meter. I mean, this guy ran long distance. He came eighth in the Olympics. He didn't win the gold, but he, he did set one record, I think, on one of the laps. And he was just an amazing, amazing guy. But as he's there, World War II veteran, he was on a search and rescue mission. He crashed into the ocean. And he drifted at sea uh, for 47 days. And he has, there's actually a movie about his life. I think it's called Unbroken. Is that the name of it? And you guys can check it out. Imagine being on a raft. Think about it. For 47 days. How do you survive? Well, he survived. He drifted to uh, the, the shore. The Japanese picked him up. He was in their their torture camps for two years he was there um, and they really tortured him extra because of the fact that he was an American Olympian. And so anyways, the, the thing, the reason why I bring him up at this point is because while he was out there floating at sea, you know, he made a, he made a promise to God. He said, God, if you deliver me from this, he was looking up at the stars, I will serve you. Kind of like, I think, what the Jews were doing right here is they're surrounded by the Babylonians. God, if you deliver us from uh, this, then we will serve you. See how we set the slaves free? So God did deliver him. In 1947, he was able to get back into the uh, United States of America. But when things got better, he didn't serve the Lord. But his story is not over. Look at chapter 35 jeremiah 35 it says the word which came to jeremiah from the lord in those in in the days of jehoiakim the son of josiah king of judah saying go to the house of the rechabites speak to them and bring them into the house of the lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink now, now this is interesting to me because I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but in chapter 35 is King Jehoiakim, and in chapter 34 is King Zedekiah. But they're backwards, because Zedekiah is the last king, and Jehoiakim was previous to him. And so you're wondering, why does he bring him up now? Well, what we find is that, like I shared with you earlier, um, it's not chronological but it's intended to create a contrast. The the Jews that didn't obey would die severely. They were disciplined severely. But these guys who did obey, there's a contrast. We're going to see how blessed they'll be. And just to make it simple, not that salvation is by works. It's not. It's by faith in Jesus Christ, But if you have a heart to obey God, he will bless you. Now, I'm not saying making you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, because that's not really the definition of blessing. You know, blessings are deeper than that. But he will give you love and joy and peace. He will give you his will. So we have to have this heart to obey. And so this is why he brings up these people, and he tells Je- Jeremiah to go to this house, the, the Rechabites. Uh, a lot of people believe that they're actually descendants of the Kenites of uh, Moses' father-in-law, uh, Raul, also known as Jethro. But he says, go to these guys, and uh, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. So, verse three. Then I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and noticed the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, which was uh, Jeremiah's uncle, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. Okay. So try to put yourself in their shoes. Okay. He brings the whole house in. He brings them into the temple. And we're talking about the inner chambers of the temple. And he puts the wine there. Okay. You're in the temple. You're in the sacred rooms of the temple and now you have Jeremiah telling you to drink. It's interesting. Verse 6, but they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, Forever. You shall not build a house, sow a seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you have sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he charged us, to drink no wine all our days. We, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go up to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. This guy that he's talking about, he was a a companion of Jehu. I don't know if you guys remember King Jehu, uh, one of the kings of Israel. So we're talking over 200 years ago, 200 years ago. Any of you guys know your ancestors going back 200 years? Some of you might, but just think, going back 200 years. And so he says, Jeremiah, we can't drink wine because... uh, this guy 200 years ago, Benadab, what's his name? Mm, recap, our father, he commanded us, said that you're not supposed to drink wine, so we can't. You know, we, 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 it's interesting. Pastor Chuck believes that these are actually um, ancestors of the modern-day bed- Bedouin. You guys ever heard of the Bedouin? So they're out there. They live in their tents. Um, the Jews tried to get them out of their tents. We might see them as homeless people, right? And so they built them structures. They actually built them structures for the Bedouin. You know what the Bedouin did? They still lived, they didn't go sleep in their, in their buildings. They put their sheep in the buildings <laughs> and they slept in the tents. Some say that they're actually descendants of these guys right here, all I know is that he says, no, we can't drink wine. It doesn't matter. I mean, and this is an interesting thing because remember, this is coming from Jeremiah. We can't drink wine because our father commanded us not to. You know, we don't own a home. Uh, we we just, this is who we are. And that's obviously a personal conviction. It's not something that was mandatory for everybody, Right. I mean, even today, when it comes to drinking wine, um, I can't tell you that you can't drink wine. I can tell you the Bible commands you not to be drunk. I can tell you that. I can also tell you that if you, you're not supposed to make anybody stumble, right? We, we know that for sure. And so, and just touching on that real quickly, you know, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But, but, but like I'm saying earlier, this is a personal conviction. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to really, really listen to the Lord. You have the, the, the objective truth, which is the Bible. But then you also have a God who has a personal relationship with you. And you really need to listen to him. He will tell you the things that you need to do and the things that you need not to do. And so this guy right here, uh, one of the interesting stories, I remember when I read 1 Kings chapter 13, and if you get a chance, maybe you can check that out later. 1 Kings chapter 13 is a really mysterious chapter to me because there is this prophet that came and he goes to the king and he tells him this prophecy and he says, you know, this is going to happen and sure enough, boom, everything came to true. This guy was a man of God, Right. And so he the king you know after he heals him the king says hey stay here and eat with me but the prophet says no I can't because God told me not to eat not to stop not to say hi but just to leave and go straight home right first kings 13 an interesting story but then another man of god in, in intercepts him and he says uh, you know come and eat with me and the guy who just had this miracle done the guy who just did this miracle He says, I can't because God told me not to stop or eat or anything like that. But then this guy says, that's okay, I'm a prophet too. And God told me that it's okay. And so what does he do? He says, okay, he comes and he hangs out with this older prophet. And then as they're eating, imagine that the older prophet says, hey, just to let you know, you're going to die on your way home. (laughs) And sure enough, a lion kills him. There's a donkey, they're right next to him. They don't even eat him. The, dog, the lion doesn't even eat the donkey. It's just him saying, that was God. And so the, the lesson, I think, even in that, is that, you know, there's no man who can tell you what to do. I'm, I'm a pastor. Oh, man, he said, you know, I have to wash my car every Wednesday, and so I better do that, you know. I mean, no way, no way. And if I ever told you something that contradicted the Bible, who would you believe? The Bible, not Manny. And even your personal convictions. So the thing is, though, you have to make sure that you're listening to the Lord. You have to make sure. Because watch what happens in this story right here. In verse 12, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? And so let me ask you a question. Are you are you receptive to the word of God? Because sometimes people will go to a Bible study and they're like, okay, well, let's see if he says anything good enough to listen to. Let's just see if he's, if he's good tonight. And rather than going to a Bible study and say, Lord, I don't even, that that guy doesn't matter. Speak to me. God, you speak to me. You know, when you look at Matthew chapter 4, the sower and the seeds, the sower was the same. It's still Jesus. The seed is the same. It's the word of God. The only variable was the condition of the heart, the the soil. And so right here he says, you guys aren't receptive, But, but, but he's telling them, will you not receive instruction to obey my word says the lord the words of jonadab the son of Recab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed for to this, to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment but although god says i have spoken to you rising early and speaking you did not obey me I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not, here it is, inclined your ear, nor obeyed me. Now, Now, again, God loves me, God loves you, he knows what's best for us. He, you're different than me. I'm different than you. We have different callings in life. This is why we're not, God is not cloning us. It's not a cookie cutter approach. You have to listen to God. You have to listen to God. Right here, it's, to me, it was very insightful. We we'll read in verse 14 where he says, I have spoken to you. I have spoken to you every morning. I've spoken to you rising early, but you didn't obey. I mean, does that sound possible to you? Does it sound possible to you that the living God of the universe would speak to you? How many of you believe that's possible? It is. We just have to listen. We're not inclining our ear to listen. And the thing that's interesting to me is I believe that first verse, verse 14, is God speaking to you. And then verse 15 is the prophet speaking to you. How God will try to speak to you. Sometimes we're not paying attention. And then God will send a prophet, teachers, and they're trying to talk to us, trying to reach us. And a lot of times they just won't listen. And so, verse 17, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom they have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard and they have called to them, but they have not answered. Now, again, don't miss that. I spoke to them, but they didn't hear me. Why didn't they hear me? because they weren't really listening see i spoke to them they didn't hear and of course you're, you know if you don't hear you're not you're not going to obey that's why my encouragement to you and to me is to really say lord speak to my heart you know how is it that i as a as a husband what kind of husband do you want me to be how do i take care of my wife. Lord, give me the divine details. And you know my kids, and you know their age. I know what they're going through, Lord. How can I be an obedient father to them? And you know the different relationships I have, extended family, pastor, just a person all day long every single day. Lord, show me, speak to me, and then you can obey. But he says because you guys didn't obey, then you're going to experience all the doom. And it was unnecessary. But they would experience that, it says in verse 17. But then in verse 18, and Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me for how long? Forever. You know, they obeyed their father. You know, we should obey ours as well, don't you guys think? Let's close real quick with one more uh, reading in Psalm chapter 1. In Psalm chapter 1, again, to me, it's a contrast. It's a contrast. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Don't lose that. Because maybe you're reading your Bible and you're doing your best to obey and do all those things, but it's not happening yet. And you're getting impatient and you're ready to give up on God. He says, no, don't give up in its season. I, I, I'm here. I'm not a prophet. But I'm here to promise you that if you obey God, he will bless you. Okay? In, in the season." He shall be like this tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Think about that, an evergreen, and whatever he does, think about this, shall prosper. But the contrast is the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And there's the contrast. One more contrast. I hope I didn't lie to you. One more contrast in Matthew chapter 7. And there's so many contrasts. It's kind of vivid when you see them side by side. But Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. So why did that, why didn't that house fall? Why didn't it fall? Because they did what Jesus commanded them to do and that means that they built their house on the rock. They were obedient, but notice next, but everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so we want to be hearers. Yes, I'm so proud of you guys. Some might say, Manny, you're preaching to the choir because this is a midweek service. I don't know. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. I know I still have room for growth and obedience and things like that. But um, I will say that, um, you know, in closing, that rock is Jesus. That rock is Jesus. He died for you on that cross and he bore our sins and when you're thinking of Nebuchadnezzar and Zedekiah and you know this Jehoiakim and all these kings let us not forget the king of kings the name is Jesus and you guys he loves you he died for you and so my encouragement to you is to listen to him listen to him and then when you get the word and it's subjective and it is subjective and it's personal and it's amazing Then you go out and just obey him because he, he is your pastor.